0: A secret. If we treat the number one cause of death, cardiovascular disease, a lot less people will die from the number three cause of death, COVID-19. How about those? Athletes? Welcome to the Jamie Delaney Plant-Based Wellness Podcast. My name is Jamie Delaney and I'm your host. I'm a plant-based cardiologist and endurance athlete living in Southwest Florida. Welcome and thank you for listening. Happy Easter, happy Passover. Spring is in the air, hope is in the air. I hope you're getting healthy and I hope hope you're getting your spring on and getting out and getting some exercise. The weather's starting to clear all over the place. Although we're actually going to have a chilly night here in Florida. It's our last winter night Um, this evening. supposed to get down to the 40s. So one final night of running maybe with the long sleeve on for the next six months. Who knows? So I've been studying human nutrition for some time now, and plant-based nutrition is um, clearly the way to go as far as reversing lifestyle diseases. I've branched into animal nutrition to try to feed my pets the best, and now I'm actually branching into plant nutrition and how best to feed my plants because, again, spring is in the air. I'm starting to load my tower garden up with some tomatoes. Uh, We've got some kale growing, and I've started to get my raised beds going a little bit, so I've got some pepper plants that are thriving, some basil, oregano, and tomatoes. And as I was preparing the raised beds I used some of the compost that uh, we've been collecting you know over the past winter so we take vegetable scraps out and put them in a, a compost bin and I got some of the dirt out of that and put in the raised beds and did my planning and lo and behold I probably have 13 or 14 little tomato plants coming up out of the compost and it you know the pepper plant started growing and I had a little tomato plant that wasn't doing so good and it started growing so clearly the plants love that compost and the added nutrients that the breakdown of these vegetables have. So it renewed my interest in doing a square foot garden in some of my raised beds. It can be a little tricky here in Florida with some of the bugs. Sometimes, you know, you kind of feel like you live in a jungle down here. But it also comes down to how good is the soil? And we know even when we buy organic produce, um, and, and the big worry for the future is, is our soil going to hold up? It's over farmed, there's monocrop farming, there's a lot of pesticide use, the Roundup all over the place and glyphosate. You know, Will our soils hold up? And what does all those chemicals that we have on our, in our soil and on our plants have to do with our ultimate gut, gut microbiome? And you know it all goes together. And I, you know, I have to. You have to come back and think. You know, you can't can't really fool Mother Nature when you spray your yard or you spray your garden. It selects for more virulent weeds, more virulent bugs. When we over treat animals with antibiotics, it over it selects for more resistant antibiotics. When we over treat people with antibiotics, we select for more resistance. So if we keep fighting our environment. We just select for more and more resistant bacteria, viruses, bugs, um, and we're ultimately making our life better. What if we were just to concentrate on making all those environments better? So I'm going to take that challenge up with making my raised gardens, uh, more, the soil in those, more healthy to see what I can grow. And so I'll keep you up to date the next few weeks and I'm also going to have a guest on the podcast uh, in the next month to talk a little bit about um, what one can do to make their soil and their garden more healthy because I know a lot of you out there are going to have some some gardens and uh, you know might I would h- highly hope that you're going to do organic and not not be using pesticides and herbicides and things on them so uh, I look forward to having her on the Podcast to help educate us. And, you know, I'll pass out the challenge there. If you live in an apartment, maybe try some herbs or some microgreens, some window box gardening. Uh, if you live someplace where you can have, you know, a small raised bed, maybe give that a shot or some tomato plants and, and planters. Uh, because I think that the more of this we do and the more we recognize by being involved in the soil and the dirt uh, and its health, the more that we can turn that around and say, how does it affect our own microbiome in our own gut health and you know lord knows being outside and getting some healthy microbes uh, that are our own will stimulate our and exercise our immune system to ultimately be better so i'm encouraging everyone to get out and do a little gardening this summer and spring and get out and get some fresh microbes and, and start exercising your immune system i think this hiding it's enough enough of hiding i'm just i'm declaring um hiding be over and and let's get out and get healthy you know, people ask, you know, the, the age-old question, right, where do you get your protein? And are plant proteins good proteins? Um, are they complete proteins? And, you know, how do horses and cows ultimately survive if these proteins that we find in plants aren't that good? And the reality of it is the minerals in our our soil, the nitrogen and phosphorus and manganese and, you know, the periodic table that we find in our soil is needed to grow good plants and good amino acids that make good proteins that ultimately animals eat so that they can be healthy and, and have good diversity and good health. So I'm excited to get planting. Like I said, I've got some eggplant and some Swiss chard and uh, starting some different seeds to get ready for the tower garden and uh, hopefully get some uh, my little plot divided out and get my square foot gardening going and I'll, I'll, I'll let you know. However, next weekend, I'm headed out to Utah to Zion National Park for the 50K. I'm very excited about that, uh, to do a a 50K trail race and to see that site. I've never been to Utah before, certainly never been to um, that kind of country and that kind of terrain to run on. So I'm looking healthy uh, forward to that and let you know how that goes. After our Zoom conference on fermentation and Addy's presentation on yogurt, I've gotten into making some yogurt and made my first batch, and uh, I've been having that for breakfast with my chia seed and fruits. Uh, Very, very good. I'm enjoying that. So uh, stepping up the gut microbe uh, in yet another direction, along with the sourdough bread and sauerkraut and other fermented vegetables. So I'm all ready uh, to keep diversifying and keep adding different things to, to my diet as well. But I want to talk a little bit about some heart issues uh, since I am a plant-based cardiologist. And there was a recent article um, in, a, in the European Heart Journal on um, Takasubo cardiomyopathy. And that has been referred to in the past, um, actually back in the day when I was a fellow, as broken heart syndrome. And what that is, is there is some association with a severe um, stress, mental stress uh, typically, that causes a sudden sympathetic outpouring and ultimately causes a decrease in heart function. And it can look like a um, sudden ontact. Or a sudden onset heart attack, so to speak. Um, there's a marked deterioration in heart function. It usually gets better uh, in a few weeks to a few months, but it can have profound syndrome uh, s- uh, symptoms on people. They can get, besides chest pain, shortness of breath, heart failure, uh, even, even arrhythmias. And the question is, what, what's the cause and why does it happen to some people and not to other people? So this study looked at the association between brain activity and the subsequent development of Takasubo syndrome. And what they found was that there is an association with brain activity in the area of the amyg- uh, amygdala. And the amygdala area of the brain controls our emotions, learning, motivation, memory, but there's also a tie to the autonomic nervous system and with that a regulation of heart function. And so it is thought that um, this emotional trigger that affects the brain, also there's the connection again between the brain and the heart uh, uh, that, that drives ultimately this this sudden onset of heart dysfunction so they looked at 104 people that had a pet ct scan of their brain and ultimately followed them with 41 people of the 41 of those people that had um takasubo syndrome and they followed them someplace between six months and five years after the scan to see um, who had the development of Takasubo and, and who didn't? So, 104 patients and 41 people had developed uh, Takasubo syndrome, and they looked compared them to 63 of those people who did not develop Takasubo syndrome. So, for some reason, the people that ended up developing the syndrome had amygdala, amygdalas that were very, very sensitive to the sympathetic outpouring. They also looked at the bone marrow, which produces blood cells, which ultimately carry oxygen uh, and affect the immune system and clotting. And there was also an increased activity in uh, in the bone marrow of these people. So again, it comes down to our sympathetic uh, fight or flight and parasympathetic more relaxation and rest and calm uh, symptoms that we can perhaps have some control over those this, this brainstem type function because of the, again, the, the connection with the higher up uh, in the brain function in the amygdala, amygdala, amygdala area. As we have evolved as a human species and moved inside and created a much more comfortable environment for ourselves and, you know, have done everything we can to avoid stressful situations, our ability to control our autonomic nervous system has markedly declined and over the past podcasts i've talked about um, uh, you know breathing and sympathetic tone and blood pressure and sympathetic tone and this all goes back to it when you know we look at being able to activate and even control our cold exposure our immune function with our our autonomic nervous system and how important it is to you know try to reconnect our control over some of those symptoms. You know, I think a lot of times we say, "Well, you're just a high-strung individual," or, you know, my mom used to, you know, my my mom worries a lot over the years and, and she would I would say, "Well, what do you really get out of worrying about the what ifs?" And she says, "Well, I'm it doesn't help at all to worry, but I'm good at it." And so sometimes we tell ourselves a story that we're good at worrying or we're high-strung or we just get excited or that's just my nature or I'm a type A type person. And we let it be, but ultimately it can come back around to bite us in situations such as, you know, back-to-back stressful situation that might lead to a cardiomyopathy. Or um, in the next study, I'm going to talk about the effects of being able to sleep and how that might ultimately control cardiovascular um, disease. And, you know, again, when we talked about high blood pressure and arrhythmias and sleep apnea... Um, all related to our ability to control or have input into our autonomic nervous system. So the next study looked at sleep efficacy and cardiovascular disease. And what they looked at is how well uh, people were able to go to sleep. So the total time sleeping um, as a proportion of the time spent in bed So if you were very efficient, you slept 85% of the time that you were in bed. And if it was less than 80%, then that was considered not being a very efficient sleeper. And so they looked at 33,810 participants, and they followed them at 11 years, and they looked at a primary event of cardiovascular disease, death, heart failure, um, heart attacks, and they looked at secondary adverse uh, cardiovascular events and uh, needing procedures such as revascularization. And they did one home sleep study to kind of set the tone for this. And they measured some other things as far as um, the time awake um, until you had to finally get up. So if you go to sleep and then you wake up and then how, how much of that time was spent awake before you go to sleep. And what they found was that people that had um, decreased sleep efficiency tended to have, uh, they tended to be older men, um, overweight, decreased insulin sensitivity, and increased blood pressure. So again, uh, increased cortisol levels. So a lot of that can, you know, you can start to say, okay, high sympathetic tone as well. So what they found overall was that people that have poor sleep tend to have an increased sympathetic tone, increased stress responsiveness to increase sympathetic tone, increased heart rate, a decrease in heart rate variability. So we want our heart rates to vary, not be gone from 80 to 30, but the time between each beat we want to be variable. So a high heart rate variability is better than a low heart rate variability. People tend to have increased blood pressure, um, decreased endothelial reactivity. Now, there were some limitations of the study. Most of the people in the study were over 60, and so, um, you know, as we know, as we, people get older, they tend to have poor sleep habits. Um, they also didn't um, have any... Um, there, there, there was no, associ- there was no um, history taken for depression or exercise or stimulant use, so all those could have been, you know, additional cofactors. Now, before you all get um, all bent out of shape in this, say, oh, no, I don't sleep well. I'm awake at night. I'm going to have a heart attack. And now you got to go to bed, and you're going to think, oh, my, I'm awake. Uh, uh, You know, I can't go to sleep. I'm going to have a heart attack. That's just going to make it worse, right, when you start worrying about that Uh, because we're going to now increase our sympathetic tone. So instead of focusing on, oh, my goodness, I can't sleep or my sleep patterns are poor, let's focus on what you can do. Exercise is very important. If you go to the gym in the morning and then you sit down the rest of the day and you don't get any more exercise, then most likely you really haven't burnt off enough of your energy to be physically tired as potentially you are mentally tired. And I think that's where a lot of people get into trouble, that they're still wound up from their day uh, and they take that high stress level and drag it on into the evening. We all know that sleep hygiene is good, so having the TV on in the bedroom uh, is, is not a good thing. You want to get rid of the devices as, as early in the evening as you can. Um, you know, calming, you know, some light stretching, breathing, meditation is always good in the evening to, to get people uh, to, to get relaxed. And then a lot of people describe that, you know, they go to sleep because they're, they're really tired. They feel they're mentally exhausted and sometimes physically exhausted as well. But then they wake up and as soon as they wake up, they start to think of things. And typically they wake up at the same time. So you can look at your watch and see that, you know, at whatever time you wake up and now you're awake. Or if you have to wake up to use the bathroom and then you go back to sleep. Uh, but you can't go back to sleep because then your mind starts racing about, you know, one thing and then another and another thing. One thing you can do as far as to decrease the bathroom trips is decrease your fluid intake in the evening. So don't be pounding the water in the evening um, because that's just going to make you have to get up and go to the bathroom more at night, especially as you get older. The other thing that happens when you lay down at night, because now you're vertical, you start to resorb water that you had pushed out into your tissues while you were up during the day. So people that eat a high salt diet tend to pull some fluids out into their their skin tissue so when they lay down they start to resorb all that gravity and then they have to use a bathroom so salt and water intake is very important so getting your salt intake under the 1500 milligrams that we recommend daily that's always helpful for not retaining water and not displacing water into your tissues and then when you go back and you go to sleep you resorb those so that can decrease your having to get up at night to go to the bathroom so what happens if you um, uh, the other thing is sleep patterns Um, you know for an example if you had something that happened to you multiple times at you know 2 a.m you can get into a sleep cycle where you're automatically waking up at a certain time just like you know if you've always got up to go to work at a certain time even on the weekends um, you tend to wake up at, at that time. So if you've had something else happening to you in the middle of the night where you've had to wake up at you know odd hours, then that can become somewhat of a habit. So your body just kind of rolls into that. And so it's a little bit hard to break that cycle That you know when you wake up and your mind starts to wander. The best thing you can do is try to deal with those issues before you go to bed so that you're not dealing with those issues when you go when you wake up at night and you know easier said than done but when somehow we have to you have to redirect your mind when uh, you start to think of all the things that you can't control at night when it's dark and you you know you can't get to anybody or talk to anybody or hash anything out so one thing is to journal to journal either in the morning or journal at night so that you can kind of get those things out on paper Uh, Make a list get it over with put it down there so that you can get to sleep at night Sometimes it's just a matter of telling yourself. You know what I'm laying down in bed, and it's quiet and nobody's talking to me and Therefore I'm at peace. I have this quiet time that I can just be there. How many people take the time anymore to? Don't do anything for 10 or 15 minutes throughout the day if you're standing in the checkout line do you check your phone do you check your watch do you, do you do you read the magazine we have to be constantly stimulated and then when you go to bed you assume that okay you're going to be able to turn it off and and it's not so easy so practicing being quiet during the day can also often benefit you at night so that you can just lay there and be okay with being quiet and not think about All those different things and and uh, you know the list that you have to make can also declutter what you have to do for the next day Um, I know I'm gonna get up early and run with my group so I have to get up extra early on a couple days so I make sure all my running clothes and everything are laid out so all I have to do is just go and get them I don't have to worry about getting up and and finding my running clothes and deciding what I'm gonna wear and deciding what the temperature is gonna be so I know what the temperature is gonna be I have my running clothes laid out I get up and go. If you're, you know, you need a, a breakfast prepared early, you can do overnight oats. So you can take some of the stress of the morning away, so you don't go to bed thinking about all the things you need to do. Again, make those lists early. You know, if you're going to menu plan, menu plan way in advance before you go to sleep, get that over with. Don't have that be hounding you while you're trying to go back to sleep. I noticed when I became plant based, I had an abundance. of of extra energy. So I don't get as tired. So I don't um, necessarily require as much sleep. I like my sleep. I hate to be sleep deprived, but it takes a lot to wear me out. And if I'm not wore out, thinking that I've got to get seven or eight hours sleep when I'm not tired, I, I can't force myself to go to bed and stock up on sleep, so to speak. So You know, I need to be. I I sleep the best when I'm actually the most tired, and that I've actually wore myself out, so to speak, um, as opposed to trying to bank sleep, thinking that oh, okay, I'm going to have to get extra early, I'm going to go to sleep, because that that really just never works for me. And I'll attribute that if I don't sleep or I have difficulty sleeping, it's because I really don't need that physical sleep at that point. I might just need the rest so again uh, making sure that you're stretched and you've you know your your body's loose and you're not in pain uh, and then you can get into into bed and just rest and if you're you know i think most people sleep a little bit more than they think they sleep and just being quiet and relaxing can be very good for you as well Um, for instance if you're breathing well through your diaphragm Uh, Your heart rate will go down, your blood pressure will go down, and everything relaxes. Some people try to do, there's a counting method, and of course, you know, practice your breathing. But it's, it's, again, I think better to practice awake as well, so that you can actually learn to breathe your heart rate down and breathe your blood pressure down. So then you can take the time to do that when you wake up, if you can't go back to sleep right away. Look at it positively, you know. I woke up at 2 a.m. I don't have to actually get up till 5 a.m. So I have, you know, I have all this time that I get to go back to sleep instead of oh my gosh, I woke up at 2 a.m. and I'm not going to get to back to sleep, and it's going to be a problem. On the other hand, I don't think that anybody was, you know, if, if you worked a night job and uh, you're, uh, you know, you've you spent your your life being awake during the night. Um, or you worked in a job where you were up to one or two o'clock in the morning, it's hard to change those cycles quickly. You, you kind of have to move them back a little bit at a time. And you also have to be dedicated that, okay, there's no reason for me to be up this late. So I'm going to work uh, my bedtime back that, so that I'm going to sleep. So don't get up and turn on the TV and by no means get up and eat something. Nobody ever starved between midnight and 7 a.m. So you don't need to to get up to eat something because then you're going to just change your blood flow, change your autonomic nervous system, your heart rate, divert blood flow to your stomach and all that. So it's going to make things much worse. So work on getting your schedule so it's fairly consistent. Um, You know, if you try to stay up till 2 o'clock one night and then go to bed at 9 o'clock the next night, it's not going to work. It's going to take... You know one or two weeks to gradually get into a schedule but try to keep consistent decrease the inflammation in your body by eating a better diet eating more of more fruits vegetables plant-based instead of heavy high oil highly inflammatory foods you know eating a big oily dinner and then trying to go to bed is not going to work even if it's plant-based so an impossible burger and french fries is not going to do well for your autonomic nervous system your cortisol levels your blood flow in general so you know eating a good dinner keeping things light after dinner uh, is also a better way to get get better sleep practice breathing with your mouth closed while you're awake is going to give you a better chance at sleeping with your mouth closed when you're asleep so sleep apnea episodes are going to startle people and decrease their sleep pattern so you can get home testing through your physician to see if you might have sleep apnea. One of the things you can do is get the, you know that's the tape mouth tape to tape your mouth shut to see if, you, you know you have episodes where you uh, sleep or if you snore. But again, then to focus on what might be causing those episodes, and again, see your doctor. If you lose weight, you also lose weight in your tongue and your palate, which makes it less likely for you to be obstructed. You also take the weight off your chest so it makes it easier to breathe. So weight loss is very good to decrease, um, you know, poor sleep, improve sleep, I should say, that way. So, you know, a, a healthy, normal body mass index is also a good way to sleep well. What happens if you have chronic pain? Um, I think you have to deal with that while you're awake. Um, you know, it may be such that um, some heat before you go to sleep on, on, and to get some blood flow to that area some gentle stretching uh, is in and then body position uh, is a is a good way to uh, sleep also uh, meditative practices that you can kind of go through and do a relaxation uh, mechanism so that you can relax some of those tight muscles it makes it easier for you to go to sleep alcohol is another thing that will change um, your sleep pattern it's been shown that people that drink alcohol in the evening have an increased heart rate and it actually wakes people up with that change in heart rate so there's a decrease in heart rate variability but there's an ultimate increase in heart rate so if people drink and then if you track your heart rate through a device you can see that your heart rate can go up Uh, when you go to sleep, which is a result in increased sympathetic tone, increased cortisol level, and then increased uh, wakefulness. So um, heavy alcohol intake can also affect sleep patterns. One of the things that my residents taught me when I was an intern, because there was a lot of sleep deprivation during medical school internship and residency and fellowship, is, is sleep when you can and don't get too riled up. Um, so over the years I've taken my own call and I've gotten calls through the night and I've always made it a habit of not getting too excited about what is going on, trying to keep an even keel and problems, you know, save my problem solving, uh, for, for the morning, you know, take care of the matter at hand, what I can do, make a plan, and then I can go back to sleep. And so I usually have a plan and then I'm happy with, okay, so I'm going to have this plan for the next couple of hours until I hear feedback from, you know, if the hospital calls me again. or, So I I, I make peace with the situation that I have at hand for that moment in time so I don't have to worry about the rest of the night. Sometimes I'm just thankful that I get to lay down for a little bit and rest. So just being you know, thank goodness I actually got to go to bed Uh, makes me relaxed enough to go to sleep. So, you know, you might just be happy just because you got to get your feet up for a little bit and take that as a win and the rest will follow. On the other hand, after prepping for this podcast, I had somewhat of an abnormal night of sleeping. And I thought that, geez, you know, of all nights, um, I'm, I'm not getting a good night's sleep. I'm awake. So I tried some of the techniques that you uh, I talked about with you all. And, you know, I, I was comfortable and relaxed. It's like, oh, this is not going to be that great a night of sleep. I can't wait to see what my phone says the next day as far as my metrics. So lo and behold, when I got up, I actually had six hours and 31 minutes of sleep. And there was probably... Over 30% REM. Well, it was two hours and 22 minutes of REM. Uh, I was only awake for four minutes, light sleep four hours and nine minutes, and then I was in, um, for the most part, I, my watch always tells me I, I sleep pretty light night, and, and I think I do sleep pretty light because I can wake up very easy because of my training over the years with my phone ringing at night. But it was kind of funny to me that I had much more REM than I actually thought I would, and i wasn't awake near as much as i thought so even though i felt like i was awake when i was thinking of things i really wasn't awake when i was thinking of things so i you know it goes to show you that sometimes when you don't think you're actually getting sleep you are getting some sleep and maybe not worry about it so much and it'll all work out on the other hand there is something you can do to improve your overall cardiac status There was a study in the American Heart um, Journal that looked at people that obtained good versus poor cardiovascular health, and they said that overall 2 million cardiac events could be prevented if people obtained better cardiac health. And another way to put that, about 7 out of 10 cardiac events were attributed to poor risk factors. So, I mean, probably much more than that, and when we look at events, there's a lot of procedures that are done, but they don't really need to be done. But nevertheless, like I said in the beginning of this podcast, if we look at cardiovascular risk factors and improve them, we're going to improve our overall health tremendously. So the risk factors looking at cardiovascular health status was smoking, total cholesterol, blood pressure, glucose, body mass index, physical activity and diet. And I kind of thought it was funny because they lump physical activity and diet. And of course, we all know if you go to your heart doctor, they're going to say eat healthy and that's about all you go. So a healthy diet is um, pretty, pretty modest standard American diet, you know, um, limit red meat, eat fish and chicken, and uh, you know use olive oil and try not to eat processed food. It's about as good as you're going to get as far as a healthy recommendation. So anyway, they graded these things 0, 1, 2, and 0, 1, and 2. So either you uh, smoking, it, I guess you'd be zero, one, 1, and 2. If you smoke three packs a day, I guess you get two if you don't smoke any. And then if you're smoking one pack, I guess you could give yourself a one. If you uh, one of the favorable cardiovascular health index you needed to get at least five out of seven of these metrics into the good status and each again were scored zero um, one was intermediate and two was good a score total of zero to 14 the higher score higher your score the better so score it for yourself smoking zero you don't smoke one smoke i don't know a cigarette a day two you smoke more than a cigarette two cigarettes a day Total cholesterol, less than 200, Uh, I'm going to put zero less than, uh, we'll we'll put zero being 150, one being less than 200, and two being over 200. Blood pressure, um, zero being less than 110, two being greater than 120 over 70, one being 120 over 70. Glucose, less than 90, Um, one would be 100, and two over 100, fasting. Body mass index, zero if you're between 18 and 24. One if you're um, less than 18 or above over 24. Two if you're over 28. And physical activity, um, the American Heart Association, 150 minutes of vigorous exercise a week uh, would give you a two. Uh, zero would be couch potato and diet. I'm going to tell you, if you're plant-based, you get a two. If you're not plant-based and you eat uh, any kind of fast food or you eat out, I'm gonna give you, uh, uh, if you eat fast food, we'll give you a zero. Let's put it that way. And you can do your own score. So if you can get a score closer to 14, the better cardiovascular health you should get. So write these down because this is a good way to judge yourself. Um, There's a survey called Four Leaf as far as how how many fruits and vegetables you eat a day and, and where you stand. But this is a great cardiovascular score. So smoking, total cholesterol, blood pressure, glucose, body mass index, and physical activity and diet. If you have any question or you want to talk to me about your cardiovascular score, please feel free to email me at jamie at drdelaney.com d-o-c-t-o-r-d-u-l-a-n-e-y. But that's a great way to look at your overall cardiovascular health, fitness, and Write that on your journal and what you can actually do to improve your cardiovascular health. To me, I like to see this uh, pinned against a uh, calcium score um, and see how it would fare up. But I think, uh, again, uh, this is a pretty good way to assess your risks for future cardiovascular events. I'm also gonna add in there that the total cholesterol should be off medication not with the aid of medication blood pressure off medication not with the aid of medication so if you're on blood pressure pills and your blood pressure is excellent then give yourself a one if you're on cholesterol medicine and your cholesterol is great give yourself a one but uh, to get a two that's off off medication Remember that, um, you know, Easter weekend, even in Passover, can be very a very high cholesterol week. So, um, again, make it plant-based. I know my dad and his brother used to have a contest to see how many eggs they could eat on Easter. Um, please don't have that contest. But remember that eggs are in a lot of food, and you can do substitutes just fine. I'm going to be making an Easter bread uh, out of my sourdough bread. I'm going to add some raisins and cinnamon to that. Um, we typically do an Easter dinner that is sweet potatoes, lentil loaf, green beans, and uh, as a, a green salad of sorts. might do a Waldorf salad as well. I will do a dessert for Easter. Um, probably be, uh, obviously it'll be an oil-free um, dessert. I might do a um, I might do a chocolate mint pie or I might do a a key lime cake not sure but that'll be a dessert for um, to be you know divided among the people and then it'll be gone and that's it and Easter's over you know we're not doing um, Easter candies and things like that Um, there's, there's actually I guess maybe other than Jolly Ranchers, there's not much Easter candy out there that, that is vegan, certainly the, the milk chocolate bunnies are not. I remember um, a drug representative brought me a large Easter bunny, one Easter, and I looked on the package and there were 52 grams of saturated fat in a chocolate Easter bunny. So don't fool yourself thinking those hollow Easter bunnies are harmless because um, you can undo a lot of your cardiovascular health with Easter candy. So eat your greens, eat like a rabbit, don't eat the rabbit, stay away from the chicken eggs, and uh, have yourself a nice, safe Easter. Enjoy the spring. Work on getting your microbes good as well as your garden's microbes good, and I will uh, speak with you soon go over to drdelaney.com to find more about the practice. We had a great, uh, we had a very successful zoom conference and we're going to do another one in June. This time we're going to do one on, um, picnic and summertime food because, uh, you know, people are out doing, hopefully people are going to be out doing more things and we want to get them eating good food. So it's going to be about travel foods, summer foods, picnic foods, and, uh, So stay tuned for when that's coming up in June. Thanks for listening. See you next week.